I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may be more fruitful. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Good morning. My name is Matt. Um, I am battling a cold, so if I sound like I'm like choked up or if I'm foggy this morning, I am so sorry. I'm not choked up yet, and uh, my brain is a little foggy. But with that, I uh, this morning, um, I should always recognize my dependence on God in preparing or delivering or whether it's a sermon or just day-to-day life. But I'm just going to pray because um, I need the Lord's strength and help uh, so that it's his words that are communicated and not my congested words. God, thank you for this place and these people, and we thank you for your word, God. And that as this passage says, you long for your word to abide in us. And we need that this morning, Lord. We need your words to dwell within our hearts for us to be transformed by you, Jesus, who has the words of life. So help us all come before you, God, seeing that we need what you have to offer us. Help us to have ears to hear and hearts that want to respond to you, no matter where we're coming from or what we're coming in with. In your name, amen. So this weekend, um, my wife Kathleen was out of town for a night. She was visiting some friends in Bellingham. Super good thing to do. And uh, Friday night, I'm getting ready for bed um, and just kind of had my normal day. Um, and it gets kind of hits me as like I'm going through the motions, brushing my teeth and, and getting ready to, to go to sleep that, man, this just isn't as good when my wife's not here. 
right? Like you just go, for those of you that are married here, you know, like when your spouse is gone or out of town, even if it's just for a night, when, you, when, you've, when you've slept in the same bed as them and just had this routine or rhythm as, as them, and when they're gone, that just something feels off in that. It feels like this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And in that moment, like, no kidding, I just thought back to our vows, um, and I thought back to, uh, we've been married for two years now, so we're still babies, um, but we've been married two years, and, and we, we commit in front of all these people, we vow to one another, in front of all these people, that we're going to remain together through sickness, through health, and for richer, for poor, to death, do us part, that we're going to work towards remaining, like, that is what we're committed to. And even when we simulate this, this, this thing of being apart, it just feels off. And throughout Scripture, God's people are referred to as a bride. There's this analogy of them being the bride. In the New Testament, it talks about them being the bride of Christ. That in the same way, God's people and their true husband, their true bridegroom, Jesus, would be connected, would be joined together, would make vows together in a way that we will remain no matter what, that there won't be straying, there won't be going to one side or another, but we're committed to this life together now and forevermore. But unfortunately, in the story of Scripture, God's people don't remain. Time and time again, they follow after other loves. They follow their wayward hearts. They go after things that are not of God. And they do what's right in their own eyes. As we continue to look at John's account of the last couple hours before Jesus is taken away to the cross, he makes it abundantly clear to his disciples that they're not to carry on this tradition of their forefathers but they're to remain in him, that they're to stay connected with him. uh, This morning, um, Greg read the whole, um, the next two weeks of verses, verses 1 through 17, that really go hand in hand together in John chapter 15. This morning, we're just going to tackle the first eight verses. But even in that, um, there's going to probably be some things that I don't cover this morning um, that Greg is going to cover next week. And there's going to be some crossover between the two passages in the two weeks. So if there's anything at the end of this, you're like, well, why didn't you talk about that? Don't worry. Greg's got it. Anything I don't talk about, he's going to do. Promise. Um, So with that, let's pray, and then we'll go. No, just kidding. Um, But, um, so, let's start, though, at verse 1, where Jesus says, I am the true vine. And with that, Jesus is saying, I am the real deal. Because with him implying that he is the true vine, it means that there was this other vine that was not true or this other vine that didn't live up to being the vine that it was supposed to be. He says, I am the true vine. The vine before this didn't live up to its vineness. So if that's true, what was this vine that didn't live up to being the vine so that Jesus becomes the true vine. Well, Israel also throughout the Old Testament is compared to a vine or to a tree. In Psalm 80, verses 8 through 11, we see this. Um, The psalmist says, You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. 
You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. If you've been with us since we went through Exodus, we know that God did that with his people. He took them out of Egypt and placed them, even though it wasn't as clean and tidy as that, in the promised land so that they could grow and flourish. You brought a vine out of Egypt. And the picture that we get here of the psalmist is saying that this tree was growing and flourishing, that it was stretching and reaching. But why is it that Israel didn't stay that way? Why didn't they just grow into this glorious vine or this glorious tree in our analogy? And it's because they sinned and did not remain in the Lord. They turned to their own ways. At youth group right now, we're going through a series called um, The Story of God, where we're taking um, a a step back, kind of bird's eye view of the whole story of Scripture to try and capture some of the major themes that are going on throughout the Bible. Recently, we had um, a story that was titled The Judges, Kings, and Prophets, and it was a really sad story that covers a huge portion of Scripture because God's people, time and time again, turn from God and go to their own ways. It was, it was like a summation of everything we've experienced in the Old Testament so far. That in the time of the judges especially, God's people would cry out to him when they had oppressors or enemies, and they'd say, save us, God. And God would send a deliverer, and they would be saved. And they would worship God for a time and thank him when it was convenient. But then as Judges says over and over again, then Everyone turns and does what they see fit in their own eyes. They don't remain in God. They turn back to their own ways. And this is the story of not just Israel, but of people. And with our high schoolers and middle schoolers, things that we've been talking through is as we look at Israel, it's like this mirror to our own lives of how how am I like Israel with the Lord? And some things we've talked about are, Do I only turn to God when I need him? When it's convenient for me? Do I try to have God as a part of my life and not instead have God be my very life? Do I place my hope in other things? The analogy in the Old Testament of of Israel being this vine keeps being carried out throughout the prophets where it ends up saying that Israel gets leveled down from this vine or this tree to just be this stump, signifying their spiritual deadness, that God allows and wills their enemies to come in and destroy them, to level them because they have so turned from God and are not following his ways. Yet the prophets, as we read in Isaiah just a little bit ago, and I'll read a section of it again, give us this hope. Give us this hope that while Israel has been leveled to this this spiritually dead stump, there will be a new vine. Isaiah 11, 1 and 2 says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. That out of this stump, God is still going to bring forth life. 
He's going to bring forth this true vine. And so when Jesus, at the start of our passage in John 15, says, I am the true vine, he's saying, I am the fulfillment of what Isaiah has said. I'm the fulfillment of the prophets, of the vine that you could not be Israel. That is me. I am the true vine. What we see in the Psalms, even in Psalm 80, as it talks about Israel being taken out of Egypt and brought to a land so they could flourish in the same way Jesus, during this time that we call Christmas, as his parents are fleeing from Herod, he too is brought out of Egypt and planted so that he might flourish and grow. He's the fulfillment in the Psalms of when we see in Psalm 1 that it says he is like a tree who is planted by waters and the roots grow deep. That is Jesus that it's looking towards and pointing to. He is the true vine. With this in mind, let's read this passage again, verses 1 through 8, and see that as Jesus is spelling out his role as the true vine. He then also reveals two other roles to us too, God, his Father, and then us, and how we work together in this relationship with the vine. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. In teaching often, um, I've, something I've noticed in myself is I emphasize things, and then I re-emphasize them. And I do it like multiple different ways. Sometimes I just say the same thing over and over again. Sometimes I try to say it in different ways. And sometimes that's a good teaching method. Um, but also, I, I notice that I'm just so concerned that people are understanding like what I'm saying because I verbally process things sometimes. Uh, I'm not a very succinct person. Um, thanks, Greg. Um, and here, Jesus in the same way in this passage is emphasizing and re-emphasizing. Not like me. I don't think necessarily that he's concerned that his disciples aren't going to get this. I think he's emphasizing and re-emphasizing because he wants them to see the complete and total importance of what he's saying. He wants them to grasp this analogy that their forefathers for so many years did not grasp, that he is the true vine and that they should live in him. Verse 5, we're going to kind of jump around in John 15 because Jesus kind of does that. It's not like everything's paired together in a complete way. So I'm going to try to go with some themes of what he's describing here in this analogy. So in verse 5, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. You, my disciples, you, my followers are the branches. 
And if we think about, we, we don't, I mean, maybe some people here have dealings with vines. I do not uh, yet. Um, but I know trees somewhat, um, not as well as Dave Miller, but I know trees a bit. And um, if we think about a tree, Jesus here is saying, I am like this trunk with roots. And you are the branches that come off of this trunk. And if we think about a relationship between a trunk and its branches, the trunk is what gives the stability and the form and the foundation so that the branches can grow. It's what gives the branches its shape. But also, most important, it's what gives the branches their life. It supplies the nutrients. Everything that the branches need to grow and flourish and bear fruit, the trunk through the roots, provides. And this is a picture of our relationship with Jesus, that he is our source of life. Everything that we could need, all the spiritual nutrients that we need to grow, he's the one who provides it. He's our foundation. He's the one that gives us our form and our shape and our being. Verse 4 says, Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless you abide in me. Between verses 1 and 17 in the ESV, I counted that it says, and I could be off, I'm not a great counter, um, that it says the word abide 11 times. Um, Throughout John's um, gospel, I think he around 30 or so times, he uses that same word abide. And, And then in his letters as well, he uses it like around another 19 times. This concept of abiding is very important to John as he communicates what our relationship with Jesus is. And the word abide, maybe if you're reading out of the NIV, it says remain. It's this picture of staying with. And as I thought about it, I thought of the phrase humble abode, right? Your abode, where you live, your house, your home, where you stay, and that we abide in our abode, right? We stay in, in where our true home is. Don't go around saying, hey, I abide in my abode. You'll sound very strange, as I just did. But we abide in our home. We dwell in that place. And here John is saying, well, Jesus is saying, and John is recording that you are to make your dwelling, you are to make your home in me. This is where you are to remain. This is where you are to stay. When I first moved to Camas, uh, just over eight years ago now, um, maybe some people know this, I first moved in with the Goose Trees um, for a couple months, and it was because I wanted to work with the youth group here um, as a volunteer, and I was living over in Portland. Um, Unfortunately, in that living uh, arrangement, Hudson had to come along and be born, and so they needed my room, um, and I had to move out. (laughs) Rough. Um, Babies, man. Um, But... Over the course of the next year, um, I had a couple, um, couple jobs that I was trying to work and just make ends meet and stuff. I ended up moving five times within a year uh, and just stayed a couple months in different places, just trying to stay in this area and be close to the students and staff in this church that I was working with. Um, during that time, nothing really felt like home. I lived with some really great people along the way that really loved me. I lived with some really interesting people, too. Um, But I lived with some great people that had a semblance of being home, but it never felt like a place that I got to share with people. It was a place that other people were sharing with me in a lot of ways. 
And so along the way, I don't remember when, uh, I stopped unpacking some of my boxes. I just kept my boxes with stuff. Some of you are nodding. I'm, I'm so sorry. Um, some of you are nodding because you know this, but you just keep some of your stuff in boxes because I didn't know when I was moving out next and on to my next place. When we make our home in Christ, we don't get to keep packed boxes. We don't get to be ready for our next move. We don't get to have this like cop-out plan that maybe I'm not going to stay here forever. We unpack our boxes. We make our stay. We abide in Christ. He is our dwelling. In John chapter 6, if you were with us and maybe you remember, Jesus has some harsh um, teachings um, back to back where then a lot of his followers end up leaving. A lot of his followers say, this is too hard of a teaching and I'm out. And then Jesus actually is confronted with his disciples, and, and he kind of asks them, and in, in light of this, he, he asks them, well, are you going to leave as well? And listen to Peter's response to this. Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. When we are in Christ, when we have made our dwelling, our home in him, if we are a follower of him, where else would we go? Where else would we turn? We try to find life in so many other things. But if you're here and you've been walking with Jesus, you know that eternal life only comes through the true vine, Jesus. Why would we ever try to find our hope or our stay or our home in anything else? And the sad part is, yet we do. Yet I do. Yet I still look to other things at times and think for whatever reason, I can keep this box packed and I can move on to the next place. But we need to unpack these boxes to make our home with Jesus. And my guess is, knowing myself, whatever these, this, this imagery that I'm using of packed boxes, whatever these are, whatever we're holding on to that we're not choosing to abide in Christ with are the things that we ultimately don't trust him with. The things that we think we need to have control over. The things that we're not willing to let go of because we either think they're too gross or too dirty or too much or what if God doesn't show up in. The things that we're not willing to trust him, but he is a God we've seen throughout John and hopefully throughout our lives that we can trust him with everything, with our very life. Is there anything that you need to unpack with the Lord, to make your stay with him, to truly abide in the vine. And Jesus says, I um, abide in me as I abide in you. He says, make your dwelling in me, and that makes sense to me. I can see on a given day my need to make my, to make my home, to make my dwelling, to remain in Christ. But he takes it further and he says, as I make my dwelling in you, as we make our home in Christ, Christ makes his home in us as well. And he'll unpack that further in John chapter 16 in a couple weeks as he talks about our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Recently, or the last couple of years, you've probably seen in this area, Camas, Vancouver, rent has just been skyrocketing, right? Or even just the price of homes, right, has been skyrocketing. So month to month, from the time when I first moved here to when I just moved out of my apartment, it was crazy to see the increase um, of what was happening. 
So month to month, your mortgage or, or your rent is just this outrageous fee. But imagine, though, as you were looking for that home or as you were looking for that apartment, you go and you meet with the homeowner or the landlord and you're hoping to buy this thing from them. You're hoping to make your dwelling in that place. And they say, well, here's what it's going to cost you to dwell here. This is what it's going to cost you to live in this home. And they give it to you for free. And in turn, the landlord says, I'm going to pay the price month after month so that you can live here. I'm going to buy this home so that you get to live in it. In verse 3, Jesus says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. We have seen from the beginning of John that Jesus' words are life. That he is the resurrection now. That he was the one that said to Lazarus, come out. He was the one that gave life to Lazarus. He's the one that has the power over repentance or forgiveness of sins. That he can say, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. His disciples have seen in his teachings, this is what brings life. The word of God, the word of Christ, the word who put on flesh is our life. And by that, that is what we are made clean only through Jesus. In getting to remain or abide in him, to make him our dwelling, there is no price that we pay to get to be with him. There's no cost that we could give. There's no way we could earn having this home or having this stay or having this place by our good works or our good efforts or our good life. Instead, Christ is the one who pays. He's our good landlord who his disciples will soon see pays the ultimate price on the cross by ransoming us by giving up his own life so that we can abide in him, so that we can live in the vine. And in this passage, we see that making our dwelling in Christ always leads to bearing fruit. Since Jesus is the true vine, he's a vine that will produce fruit. There's no question about it. He's not like Israel, who in Jeremiah 2.21, it says, was an unruly, wild, degenerate vine. Christ is the true vine and will produce fruit. And we see in this passage that that means the branches, us who are connected to him, we will be the ones that he uses to produce fruit. We're not really going to get into some of the specifics this week, per se, of what this producing fruit looks like. But next week, I think, Greg is going to cover some of those things as well. In verse 2, though, it says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. How I want us just to think about fruit this morning is the evidence of what the branches are abiding in. The evidence of being of abiding in the vine, right? A, a grapevine or an apple tree, a grapevine will produce grapes. That's how we know it's a grapevine. An apple tree will produce apples if it's a true apple tree. It won't produce watermelons or, or won't produce any fruit at all. It will produce what it will produce. And here, Jesus then is talking about this vine dresser that we see in verse 1. He says, my father is the vine dresser, or my father is this gardener who tends to this vine and the branches. 
And we see two things in this analogy that the vine dresser does. First off, we see that he prunes branches that are bearing fruit so that they may be more fruitful. I haven't pruned many things. Kat and I just moved into a house this last year, and so we actually have a yard and, and stuff, and it right now is wild and unruly and degenerate. Um, but it's going to take a lot of work, but it's still awesome to have a yard. And I haven't pruned many things, but I've seen her prune some things. I was just scared to do it because um, I was going to kill that thing. Um, but we had this, like, big bush in our front yard that we wanted it to, like, grow up taller because we saw some people down the way that had bushes that were similar to it. And it looked so much better instead of, like, this big shrub when it, like, grew up and it looked kind of like a tree. So with that, you had to prune. You had to take out a bunch at the bottom so that it would just choose to keep growing up. And once that had taken place, once it was pruned, it looks like a total hack job. It was ugly. It looked so terrible. And for those of you that have pruned things before, sometimes like beforehand looks better when, um, when it was more full, even though it's not what you want it to be. It looks better than it does now since it's been pruned. And it's like, oh gosh, are we stuck with this thing now? Or will it actually produce what we're hoping it will produce? Pruning is not pretty. But here, the hope that we have is that when God prunes, for one, it's because whatever he's pruning was already bearing fruit. And it's so that that branch may bear more fruit. Pruning takes place in our life in, in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's through loss. Sometimes it's through hardship. Sometimes it's through things not going our way. Sometimes it's through discipline that's straight up from God, of things being taken away. We see all those things happen throughout Scripture. Pruning takes place, but our hope, and especially for any of you that feel like you might be going through a pruning process of loss or hardship or things being taken away right now, things not going your way or the way that you had once hoped, is God sees that there is already fruit in your life. You have the hope that fruit is already taking place, and he just wants to keep growing you. He wants to keep growing me to bear more fruit. God doesn't prune branches that aren't bearing fruit. And so he's doing that if you're experiencing that, or if you will experience it, that. That is our hope, is when we're being pruned, it's because there was fruit that he wants there to be more. He wants there to be more evidence of our relationship to the vine in our lives. Another role of the vine dresser is he removes every branch that doesn't bear fruit. Because branches that are on the vine that aren't producing fruit are dead. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Ultimately, there's something wrong in the connection between the branch and the vine where it's not receiving life from the trunk, from the roots. Even though there's this appearance of, of this branch being on this tree or connected to this tree, it is still dead. And we've seen an example of this recently in John as we've seen Judas, one who hung out with Jesus for three years, was close in proximity to the true vine. But more, more recently, we've seen his true colors revealed that he wasn't bearing fruit. There was no evidence of, of Jesus's life in his life because he's the very one that's handing Jesus over to be killed on the cross. 
Just being in close proximity to Jesus does not mean that we have the life of the vine. And for us who've been walking with Jesus a short time, a long time, it's so important for me and for us to remember that going to church is a good thing. Reading scripture is a good thing. Singing, meeting in community groups, all these things are good things, but they're not what save us. That we have to be connected to the vine. And it's so easy to get it flipped around. It's so easy to get misled in that, to just check things off the box. But instead, we need to be connected. We need to abide and remain in Jesus. Verse 6 is a harsh truth. Jesus says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. In Colossians 3, Paul writes this about the life of a believer. He says, For you have died, talking to the believer, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. For those that are in Christ, for those who have trusted in him, we have died to our old way of living. We experience that death now, death to our flesh. And as this passage says, our life is hidden in Christ's life. So when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, we will be revealed also. As Christ's death, we die too. We're, our, our old life is laid in that tomb. And as he's raised to life three days later, we too are raised with him. The life of the believer their life is only found in Christ. But the flip side to this is for those who have not trusted in Jesus, those who have not responded to him, who have acknowledged him as Savior and Lord and King, their life is not hidden with Christ's life. Christ is not their life. And so they're still in death. And it's death that starts now and lasts forever. It's eternal death. And the analogy in this passage is an intense one because it says these branches that are dead and that the Father removes from the vine, they're just bundled up and all they're good for is fire. Which should, if, if, if we've been in the church any sort of time, should make us think of hell, which is never fun to talk about. And I wish I didn't have to share this, but it's what this passage is saying. That these branches, if they do not have life in the vine, that their destination is destruction. But the good news here, if you are here this morning and you have not responded to Christ, if you haven't trusted in him or placed your hope in him, if he is not your Savior and Lord, the hope is that God is even using this passage now to reveal your need for him, to reveal that you need his life in order to live now and forevermore, because otherwise our destination is destruction. And I remember over eight years ago when I came to Christ, what I prayed was, God, I've tried to live life apart from you in so many ways, and it always has let me down. It's always led to destruction. I only want the life that you have 
And would you dictate to me now going forward what life is? Would you prune away? Would you take away anything that does not bring about the life that you desire for me so that I can live in you? And today is a great day to recognize that we need the life of Christ now. That we can die to our old life being apart for him so that we can be raised up in him and revealed in him as the true vine. Verse 5 says, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Believers, I want to talk to you really quick as I wrestled with this this week. Producing fruit, having evidence of Christ in our lives, cannot happen if we're not abiding in him. I've been involved with ministry for over eight years now, and there are times in my life where the first thing getting up and the last thing I do before the end of the day and throughout my day, it's just clear I am dwelling, I'm making my home and my stay with the Lord. It's just all that my mind is fixed on. And then there's other times in my life where I stray and I forget. And I think that getting this thing done with youth group or with young life or whatever falls on mat and what I can do and what I can accomplish. Jesus makes it abundantly clear. Every day, our deepest desire before ministry, before community even, before any of these things, that we are to dwell and abide in him. That has to be what our heart beats for. And everything else is good. Everything else will come, but it can't come without abiding. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And for people who haven't trusted in Jesus, sometimes it's easy, and I've, I still do this too, we like to do good things for, good, for people. We like to pat ourselves on the back for good works, but let me tell you, the fruit that Jesus wants to produce through you is so much better than what you could produce on your own. There are so many things that I've gotten to be involved with or be a part of, so many people in this room too, that I could have never brought that about. Only Christ, only God could bring those things to fruition. He wants to bring about a fruit that will actually last, good works that will actually remain. And to wrap up, we were created to abide in Christ. We were created to abide in God. In the Garden of Eden, we see Adam and Eve with God walking. We were created to have this dwelling relationship with the Lord. And actually today, I see lots of abiding going on in our world. But unfortunately, we abide in a lot of other things other than God. We make our dwelling and our home in things other than him. And there's, we don't use the word abide to describe it. Today, I think the word that we use is binge, right? We binge watch Netflix. We make our dwelling, our stay, our source in this TV show. That's just one example. We binge working out not me, but we binge working out, right? We put our hope in the gains that we can make or if we can just get to this certain weight. We binge in, in our vacations and how much time we just spend away from the day in, day outs of life. We, we binge on retirement. If I can just get to this place, then finally I'll be comfortable. We binge on what we can excel at or what we can be good at. We binge in our families even where that becomes, if I just have a good family, that will be my hope. That will be my rest. That will be my 
peace. There I can dwell in my relationship with my wife if I could just get this girlfriend or this boyfriend. Where our minds go to, what we think about, what drives us day in, day out, is a good indicator of what we're abiding in, of what we're choosing to make our home and dwelling in. The enemy wants us to abide in everything but Jesus. He wants us to make our dwelling in something other than the true vine. Our true statement for the morning is, those who remain connected to Jesus bear much fruit and glorify the Father. Those who don't will be destroyed. Jesus wants us to bear fruit and so proving to be his disciples. And some questions for us to think about as we go out from this place and as we worship now is first and foremost, am I abiding in Christ? Is he what my life is revolved around? Is he the one that I am dwelling in? Gary asked last week, do I long to be with God? When I wake up on a given day, is my longing that I need Jesus that day? Take this world, but give me Jesus. And I'd encourage you to do this. Ask a close friend or a spouse or a family member or a pastor or someone in your community group, can you see evidence of my abiding in Jesus in my life? That's a hard thing to ask someone. It's choosing to be really vulnerable, and it's asking them to speak into it. Or even further, ask them, can you see areas in my life where it's unclear if I'm abiding in how I drive, in how I respond to salespeople, in how I treat my mom or my brother, in how I am in the workplace, in how I am in our community group. Are there places where it's hard to see that I've been abiding? What needs pruning in my life? God, what do you want to take away so that I can abide in you all the more and bear more fruit? Verse 8 says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. The prayer team's going to be in the back hall as we worship now, and they, being a part of it, we would love to pray with you so that, for one, you're not alone in these things, whatever it may be that it's on your heart, and also that we take these things up to God for him to speak into them, for him to have his way in them. So those people would love to pray with you um, after the message and as we sing. Let's pray. God, we thank you for being the true vine and that apart from you, we don't have life. And that's funny to say, Lord, because it, is, it would be nice if there was all these different avenues for life. But Jesus, the life that you've promised to us, the abundant life, is the life that we actually need. So Lord, thank you that there is only one way and that it's through you, but that you made it possible for us to make our dwelling with you. God, would we long to bear fruit? Would we long to have the evidence of our relationship with you in our lives so that our neighbors can see it, so that our friends can see it, so our families and coworkers can see it? Lord, we want to bring you glory through that. We want to so prove to be your disciples because of the evidence of the fruit. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with the people that feel like they're going through pruning right now. Would they take heart that you're with them and that it's because there was already fruit in their lives and that you're continuing to produce it. And Lord, for those that have not trusted in you, would they see their need 
for life that comes from you and you alone? Would they even be able to recognize the death that's taking place in their lives now through other avenues that they think they'll find life in, and instead would they find their hope and peace that you are their life? In your name, amen.